Welcome to Comic Culture. Your one-stop shop for discovering more about comic book characters, stories, and general analysis of these epic tales. So join us on this journey across mediums and multiverses to learn more about the amazing world of comics. I'm Trey. This is Jojo. And I'm Petey. This is Petey, and we're going to start off with some comic book news. First thing we wanted to mention is that Sylvester Stallone was cast as King Shark for the upcoming Suicide Squad movie, and we did get a trailer for that. That was very entertaining. Um, that's all I got for, for my end. Yeah, and there's a new comic event called Heroes Reborn, so it's a throwback to the 90s. And Beta Ray Bill is getting a new comic that started this week, and it looks pretty intense. So check it out if you're a fan of Beta Ray Bill and Mjolnir. Hey, awesome. I think that's all we have for our comic book news. Um, Trey, do you want to go ahead and break us down some of the episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier? Yeah, so this week's episode was number two of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and we got, at the end of episode one, we got a brief introduction to a winking uh, Captain America, who he's only been known as Captain America so far, whether they choose to call him U.S. agent at some point, I guess, is not confirmed but this episode starts with a really a really cool scene actually he's kind of walking into his high school locker room walking through the locker room there's football uniforms he's kind of having some flashbacks and then he kind of starts to unzip the captain america uniform before he puts it on for the first time and you can see the emotion the honor you know kind of run through all the feelings that he's having and the, and the pressure as well um, so if you were expecting him to just hit the ground running as kind of this jerk who stole captain america's shield uh, that's not the angle they took, at least immediately. Um, and I would argue not even through the entire first episode. We get a very grounded hero who multiple times says, hey, I'm not trying to be Captain America. I'm trying to do the best I can to fill those enormous shoes. Um, what, what were you guys' thoughts on that flashback scene? Yeah, I can go ahead and I can start out. So I think the, the biggest thing that I noticed was it made him a lot more relatable. Um, I'm still very skeptical, obviously, because I was such a Cap fan in the MCU. Um, but I talked to these guys about this a little bit off of uh, the podcast that I like seeing him basically as just an all American, I'm an all American boy. I got like the small town hero type feel where he was probably like the star of his football team. And now he's coming back to his home armada, um, with this new, uh, proud symbol of being Captain America. So that was good. Um, I think overall I liked him. It's making me relate to him a little bit more. Um, so I mean, yeah, as I like him as much as, as I can as a cat fan. Yeah, I, I have to agree with PD. I felt the same way. The only thing that I will say is, well, it surprised me because I didn't realize that they were going to do that. They do make you kind of kind of respect him, right? That he, he did work his way up and he's kind of this get or done type kid, um, a good old boy, probably from Texas or something similar to that. Um, the only issue that I had is, and we may get into this, but throughout the episode, I just feel that he quickly kind of has like this arrogance to him of he, he knows that he gets things done. And so I feel like he's kind of using Falcon and he's kind of using Winter Soldier and it's kind of off-putting because you, you do see him, you kind of relate to him, but you, you know that he's he's just going to get it done by any means necessary and he probably won't try to develop an actual relationship with Falcon and Winter Soldier and even the line where he's just like I, I just want Cap's wingman by my side 
I almost felt like he said that intentionally to kind of dig at Falcon more so than accidentally put that out there um, without realizing that that might be offensive. I feel like it was definitely set up. Why is that offensive? I didn't actually find that offensive while watching it the first time either, to be honest with you. I mean, he was Caps wingman, and that's not a that's not a bad thing. He didn't say sidekick. That would have been insulting. Um, yeah, actually, you bring up your point, but you can see Falcon's reaction, right? Like Falcon, Falcon responds with, I can't remember the exact words, but he's just like, it's always those last words. Yeah. And I think it's it really hits home too, just because Falcon has been struggling. People as of lately may have not given him the recognition or the respect that that he deserves or wants um one from the government and two from even the um the bank right um not even giving him they know who he is but it's almost like his credentials don't really mean anything that didn't get him anywhere yeah yeah what i i guess the the problem i have in number two i was going to talk about was are are you able to relate to the emotions that Bucky and Sam are having because I'm not quite sure that I can and I kind of hit on it right there when I said I didn't really have a problem with him being called his wingman even though his reaction was very much like "Ooh, you shouldn't have said that and I didn't didn't quite get it um I thought the therapy scene with Bucky went a long way towards okay why are you two so upset about this I thought that they did a good job of doing some exposition there and I was worried that we might not get it but the overall you guys are able to relate to how Sam and Bucky feel about this yeah, I would say I I I do relate. Um, I still stand by the fact that I think it should have been Bucky or Sam, and I think I don't think Bucky wanted it, but it's this idea of negating what Cap wanted, um, and I think it's great what Bucky says. He says if if Cap was wrong about you, that means he's been wrong about me, and you can see where that would affect Bucky so much because he's trying to recover from everything that he's been going through, and it shows that his biggest motivation for doing so was having Cap by his side because Cap was the only one that believed in him from the beginning. So I thought that was interesting. Um, on that too, I kind of, if I were Sam and Bucky, I mean, as, as an audience member, I think I relate more to them because I'm looking at this John Walker and he does seem like an all-American guy. But to me, he also seems like the guy that in high school, I would have hated. Like just the guy that everyone kind of looks up to. Everyone wants to be him. He probably dates all the, all the girls and everything. And all the other guys are just like, who is this? Like, he's not, he seems really ingenuine to me um, with his relationships with his other comrades. Besides his, his kind of right-hand man, um, I think his name's Hoskins. Um, besides him, he's pretty, he's pretty ingenuine. Um, that's kind of the feel I got um, a little bit with his, his relationship, especially with Bucky and Sam. And with his wife and everything else was great. But with Bucky and Sam, I really got a sense of ingenuineness. So I want to hit on one thing you said. I get why we kind of wanted Sam to do it. I don't think that the MCU has any possible setup where Bucky is ever the new Captain America. His past is too dark, whatever. He can be pardoned. He can be forgiven. I think we can do all of that, but he's never going to be the iconic representation of America as a former Russian sleeper agent. And whether that's his fault or not, I obviously don't feel that it is, but uh, any other thoughts on that Jojo, as far as relatability to these two characters? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to um, what we discussed last week. I think with Bucky, PD mentioned, right, that if he was wrong about Falcon, he's wrong about me, that he just relied so much on Captain America and entrusted Captain America and maybe more so Captain America not allowing Bucky to kind of figure things out on his own. He was kind of just being 
more so than a crutch being the one that's dragging Winter Soldier along, Bucky along. And so he's saying, if this person that basically pulled me out of this darkness um, is completely wrong about his, his best friend being, being Falcon, being Sam Wilson, then what was the whole point of him trying to pull me out and trying to save me, right? And it, it goes on to just that spiraling of he can't really rely, obviously he can't rely on Cap. We don't know at this point if he's just retired, if he already passed away, what's going on. But obviously he he's nowhere to be, to be seen as far as um, being able to help Bucky one-on-one, right? Yeah, and I guess I, I definitely see where you guys are both coming from. I want to try to take a second to verbalize why I find... I'm just going to call him U.S. agent for here, just so I, I you yeah. don't confuse Captain America with you know Steve Rogers. I find John Walker to be one of the more relatable characters the MCU has, has written in for a couple of reasons. One, he's really the first person to take over a legacy type role. And the way they're dealing with it is they're addressing the immense pressure that he's going to have to fill those shoes. I mean, we've talked, Captain America and screenshots of Steve have come up in both episodes it's very obvious that the world doesn't want to move on. And we get this inside look at a character who's trying to live up to a legacy. Up to this point, we've seen the first iteration of every Avenger, the original character, no standard bearer to kind of replace. And John Walker is kind of the first second stringer to come in. And, and I think that's a very relatable place to be. And I also think I can relate to, hey, he's a guy who gets stuff done. And I think his one flaw that they kept showing was like, They'd be like, oh, how did this happen? And he'd be like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm Captain America. But it's kind of, even that was almost like, he's still so thrilled to be Captain America. I almost couldn't fault him. Now, was it a little tacky? Yeah, it was a little childish. But I really thought he seemed pretty genuine with Sam. I mean, he he rescued Sam and Bucky. Then he, he went very much out of his way to give them a ride twice, even after being rejected two, three times. And then they jumped out of the car, still was being pretty friendly, bailed him out of jail. Not that he should have been in jail. That was kind of a weird scene. Bailed him out of jail, was waiting for him outside, tried again. And then at that point, they turned him down and he just said, all right, well, then stay out of my way. At that point, he's got a mission, right? He is a government employee. They're just kind of free agents, like they said. I think I would also say like, okay, I have done everything possible to extend the olive branch, to invite you to work with me. I saved your life. If you can't do that, then just don't get in the way of me accomplishing what I have to do. I, that's kind of a character that really clicks with me for some reason. I can't really put it any better than I just tried to. Yeah, I do think, I do think his creation is interesting because like, I think Jojo and I, we're kind of on the same page. We're, we're more supportive of, of like the Bucky and the Falcon situation. But I think it's interesting that Trey has such a, an attachment to US agent with him being so new. Um, so, I mean, I think it's interesting that he, has been able to get a fan base so quickly. Fan base of one. I think for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, it's just that we don't like change, right? Which I actually really enjoy because um, the writing with Marvel, and we can get into this segment between the writing of Marvel and the difference that um, DC Comics does, but for me, specifically to this series, the writing really draws the audience in, right? I feel like I'm a civilian in this world where I'm just like, wait, you're trying to replace Captain America? 
right? And so that's probably a lot of why I don't like um, US agent. And like I mentioned before, he's got this, you know, almost very, very relatable character. And so I guess it's more me just being like, wait, this isn't fair. Why isn't Bucky more involved? Why isn't Sam Wilson more involved? Like, who is this guy? Who do, does he think he is? He can just walk in and, and do what he wants. So, and I think that's the intention behind the writing, right? Is to draw you in as almost like this civilian of this, this world. Yeah, absolutely. When I, and when I make these kind of devil's advocate perspectives, I fully accept that the show wants me to hate him. And I'm just saying I'm not convinced yet. And, and I'm sure that there's a secret there and whether there's a little bit of gray area, it looks like he might not be a super soldier, um, at least based on how they presented him. My personal theory is that he probably is. And so is Hoskins, whether they went to the power broker or not, I'm pretty excited to see that. And that might be his inevitable tie whether incidentally or otherwise, to the Flag Smashers. But I guess we'll close this segment with um, our impression of how he's going to do f- actually filling in for Captain America. He's got a history of getting stuff done. Do we think he's actually going to be able to be a successful Captain America successor? I was actually very impressed with his skill set. I thought the throwing of the shield underneath, was it Hoskins that fell? I believe yeah. off the back of the book. I thought that was one of the coolest things anyone has done with the shield. And we've seen a lot of characters throw the shield between Bucky and Sam and Cap and Iron Man. I thought that was really sweet. And then there was also that scene where he whipped out a gun and I felt like the writers wanted me to be upset that he used a gun. And I thought that was really weird because I specifically remember when Captain America started, he very much used a gun. He was a soldier who ran out with a gun and a shield. And I thought, I thought it was kind of cool that he busted out his gun, but also felt the writing wanting me to feel something different. So what, what was you guys' take on his ability and skill set from the first couple scenes? Yeah, I would say I, I definitely think that he, he, I think he's a super soldier. I think they're trying to play it off that he's not. Um, but we've seen they're introducing other super soldiers who have been, who have participated in that program. Um, I mean, we have that introduction with Isaiah Bradley, um, who was a super soldier who was tested after Steve Rogers. And we can break that down a little later if we wanted. But um, I think John Walker probably is a super soldier and they're trying to just make it seem like they don't have access to that kind of tech. And that's why they're kind of playing him off as just, oh, he passed the super soldier tests. It's like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to pass those tests? Did they specifically say that he was naturally as good as a super soldier? I may have missed that. They don't specify like naturally as good as a super soldier, but they like, they show like him throwing the shield and that he has like it makes it seem like he has these trials that he has to go through to prove that he is super soldier worthy or something. Okay, interesting. Yeah, like his uh, they I think they mentioned that his um, physical abilities are like off the charts, right? But I do think that he has a superhero. Um, what is it called? A serum. Yes, the superhero serum, because I guess I feel like the government is hiding it, right? They want people to more rely on a civilian that's just kind of off the charts rather than, oh, this is a superhero. This is just another one um, printed out from the mold, the same as Captain America. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I don't know the reason behind it as to why they would want to do that, but. Um, yeah, it's just the narrative of the media in in 
the series that wants to showcase that he's he's a normal guy, right? Um, in that sense. His whole introduction was to show that he's a normal guy. And I guess in closing, I will say canonically, I believe Captain America after the super soldier serum is basically an Olympic athlete level figure, but kind of in every area. So he's as strong as, you know, a power lifter and as fast as a sprinter. So things that aren't absolutely insane to achieve physically, it's just kind of the overall spectrum that he was able to achieve. So if they are trying to sell that an average man could just be kind of a freak and be as strong as a super soldier, that's not an impossible sell, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Okay. Yeah. I think that's all we have to say um, about Falcon and Winter Soldier for now. Um, kind of switching gears. Uh, we're going to move into DC for pretty much um, the rest of the rest of today. Um, as we mentioned previously, we kind of want to do episode breakdowns and then move into um, a character breakdown and then kind of a comic arc. We picked a character and comic arc that are relatable um, in the sense that we're going to talk about Wally West, first of all. Um, so to give a brief introduction to kind of my, my love for this character with Wally West, um, I've always been a huge fan of the Flash, uh, and Wally West was one of those characters that I, I was kind of got introduced to Barry first and the CW Flash show, and then kind of got introduced to the African-American Wally West, and as I read the comics, discovered some of the history behind um, what's going on in the comics. So I want to open this up. We're going to talk a little bit about the history. Um, he's an old character from 1959, um, so you can imagine we've got quite a few years of history. Um, I'm going to try to break down the, the older stuff pretty quick so we can get into more of the recent stuff. So I think that's when things get really interesting with his character. Um, so what I want to talk about mainly is with Wally. He was created in uh, 1959, like I said, and he was created to be a sidekick. So one of those classic sidekicks, he idolized the Flash and wanted to be just like him. So what does he do? He discovers how... The Flash got his powers and does the exact same thing and recreates the experiment. Um, I just wanted to follow up with you guys. What do you guys think of that same idea? It's like, oh, well, he got the pow his powers the same way um, as the original. It, it makes sense, right? He I idolizes Barry Allen so much. Why wouldn't he want to get the power the same exact way, right? Um, to me, it makes, it makes complete sense. I think it's interesting. I, I don't have a problem with Wally getting his powers this way. While I simultaneously think it's a very overused thing yeah. in the Flashverse, basically, I mean, you've got dozens of people at this point get their powers almost identically, like Godspeed, someone else. There's just, it would be very interesting to see someone get a connection to the Speed Force through kind of some other means. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I just kind of want to get your feel because you get that a lot with legacy characters um, where it's like, okay, well, this is just being repeated and repeated. But there is the other side of it too, where it's like, if I worship, if I knew that I could get super speed by mixing chemicals together and getting struck by lightning, I'm going to do it. So it's like, I get where I get kind of what Jojo was saying about that too. Um, but anyway, so he, he does that and basically just follows in his footsteps um, and adores uh, Barry Allen. He lives in his shadow for um, basically 30 years in the comics. Um, so he takes on that role of kid flash for a long time. And then uh, in crisis on infinite earths, uh, when the Anti-Monitor comes, uh, Flash sacrifices himself to save the universe, um, and he gets lost in the Speed Force. And this is where things start to get interesting with Wally, where he has to take on the role of the Flash. 
Um, and I think he gets really relatable here because he doesn't quite have the experience needed to be able to take on this role. Uh, so he feels completely worthless and not good enough to complete it. Uh, and we see him as the flash for a long time. Um, we see him on, from, as a flash basically from 1985 um, up until 2008. So a lot of us grew up with him as the flash without even realize, really knowing it. Uh, I remember me as a kid watching a little bit of those Justice League animated cartoons. I kind of looking back, I always thought it was it was Barry Allen. Um, but as I went back and rewatched them a couple of years ago, now as I knew comics, I wanted to learn more about kind of that that series. No, it was it was Wally West because he was the Flash at that time in the comics. And so you get some great runs of him. And that's when he really grows up. He grows up from this kid to becoming the Flash, taking on the role um, and really being a great hero. Um, he gets a wife. He ends up having two kids and you see him kind of struggle with now being an adult um, and having these arcs that are based off of him being a superhero and obviously living the life of, um, of a dad. Uh, and that's kind of, you see him try to balance that a lot. And that's a lot of what you get of in the nineties and kind of early two thousands. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting is how other people look at him. So it's, it's interesting to see kind of how, how he acts as the flash. Is he similar as far as like personality? Cause he obviously idolizes Barry. Um, does he try to come off kind of like what we're saying with US agent and Captain America? Does he try to pull off and be like copycatting Barry or does he kind of take his own role for the flash? Yeah, that's actually a really good, good discussion point to talk about for a sec. I think the biggest thing that he does as the flash that's different um, is he has more of a spiritual connection with the speed force. Um, whereas Barry ends up developing more of a science-based relationship, which makes sense because Barry's obviously a scientist, CSI, uh, but Wally has a deep connection with the Flash, or sorry, with the Speed Force. Um, and so in that sense, he's very different in his attitude towards things. Uh, I think he does naturally try to be like Barry, uh, but he has a lightheartedness to it that I don't think Barry Allen has um, in these first few issues, issues in these first years as the Flash. Um, one of the things I think is interesting is he's actually the flash that discovers the speed force. Uh, and so that alone is huge before him, Barry Allen didn't know what the speed force was. Um, he just ran and ran. Jay Garrick isn't even connected to the speed force in the beginning. And so Wally's the first person to discover it and to really study it. So Wally discovering the speed force as the second flash, probably if I'm not mistaken, serves as the writers coming up with a reason why they're so fast. Is it, yes. is it, it's a retcon. Yeah, um, it's a retcon. I mean, that, that makes sense too, though. I mean, a scientist like Barry would never give it a second thought of some kind of like, does he, let me ask you this, does Barry have any initial like kind of drawbacks to that? Is he curious or skeptical of that in any way? Um, no, because I think what happens is Wally starts studying it and that's what kind of made him realize that that's where Barry ends up. Um, they use it as a retcon to not only introduce this kind of mystical force, almost like um, in this regard, the way Wally sees it, like a Star Wars type force, not so much of a science-based force, um, where it's endless power. And Jeff Johns created it to be able to have kind of that liberty and that freedom that you don't get if it's all science-based. So I don't think he was skeptical of it at all. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting. And then what happens is after he kind of gets the hang of being the Flash and everyone loves him in the early 90s and he develops his role as the Flash... Uh, they decide to bring Barry Allen back. Um, and so it creates this huge confusion in comics 
of, well, what does Wally do now? And so from basically 2009 to 2011, um, you have two flashes running around with the same name and they don't really know what to do with Wally. And so it just gets confusing. Um, so after Flashpoint, basically what they do is they uh, make Wally West just disappear. He's no longer in it after the new after Flashpoint. And in New 52, there is now a new kid, Flash, whose name is also Wally West. Um, he's African-American now, and he has been de-aged to the age of probably 13. Um, so they basically get rid of the old character. Wait, technically there's two. Yes. So there's two Wally Wests um, as of right now. So throughout all of New 52, you have Wallace West, as we call him now, who is the son of Rudy West. And then you have the other Wally West, who is the son of Daniel West, but they're technically the same person. Um, I think what they're trying to do is put diversity in, which I think is great. But the fact that they put, gave him a name to somebody that they know they're going to bring back in comics eventually, I don't know what they were thinking because it just creates a lot of confusion down the road. Were they not sure maybe if they were going to bring Wally back? I mean, it, it seems like a terrible decision in hindsight, but I also feel like at the time it would have been a, a terrible decision. I'm not... I'm not sure yeah. how that made it off the drawing board, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think the idea was there to bring diversity into it, which is great. But if you're going to do that, then you can't bring back the old one. And, and um, so prior to this, had Wally, I hate to say it like this, did the white original Wally West ever go by Kid Flash up to this point? Yeah, so he was Kid Flash uh, for the Silver Age and the Bronze so, Age. So let me get this straight. Is that when he was working with the Flash? Yeah, so he was so Kid Flash... Are you kidding me? He's like a 32 year old man with a wife and kids and he has to go by kid flash after having been the flash for like 10 years. Yeah, exactly. So he Are was you? a flash for 10 years and then basically flat Barry Allen comes back right as he's like really developed himself as a flash and Wally West just gets thrown to the curb and has to take on the role. He still goes by flash, but everyone starts calling him kid flash again because so you can see where the problems comes. It comes in with this and that's where they were like, yeah, we'll just pretend like you don't exist. So new 52, they just replace him. As a casual, and, as a casual comic book reader, this makes it extremely confusing, <laughs> and it's yeah. not very motivating to like <laughs> it, to try to like figure it out. Yeah, well, just wait because it gets more fun. <laughs> so all of New Fifty Two happens, and again, Flashpoint. Basically, the way it happens is Flashpoint. He goes back, saves his mom. When he re restores the timeline with his mom dead, there's still some things that haven't haven't been fixed, and one of them is that Wally West is now gone. And now Barry Allen's there with the new kid Flash and they're working together. Great. That would have been awesome. But then in 2016, we get a new reboot, um, which honestly, for me, it's my favorite reboot. I think it was needed and it's awesome. And Wally West is the center of it. Um, it is centered on the idea that Wally West is not dead. He does exist. And he's been in the speed force for this entire time. You can see we're getting a little bit of a trope here with flashes dying actually being disappeared into the speed force. Um, but it's actually really good. You get Wally West basically trying to find his lightning rod, his thing that can bring him back to life. Um, and it ends up being Barry Allen. So you get a scene of him and Barry hugging once Barry Allen remembers him and realizes that he wasn't lost in time. Um, so it's super interesting. And after he comes back though, it's tragic because he's back, but that entire timeline of his life is no longer there. So they remember him. Yeah. So wait, now there are two kid flashes? <laughs> yep. 
So now you have Barry Allen and both Wally Wests. So it's just, really exciting. I'm just kidding. Cut that part out. Go ahead, though. I did have a question. Um, which one goes by Wallace? Wallace is the African-American. Okay. Are they pretty similar personality-wise? Like, if I was a fan of Kid Flash, wh- when was this set? Like, in the t- early 2000s? With 2011. 2011. Wallace. Were they trying to replace my favorite character with, like, a similar character? Or is this, like, okay, Kid Flash is gone. Take this new one. He's completely different. Uh, no, they were trying to replace him completely. Interesting. It's a very weird strategy, but yeah, it was because from just from what you're explaining, especially because it sounds like fans really enjoyed his character. So it's kind of odd that they were just like, well, let's get rid of this beloved character and totally replace him with a person that has the same exact name. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's hard too because it's hard too because you have to think kids that grew up or read the comics read it uh, in the 90s read wally west flash so now you're telling these kids as they're adults no he's no longer he's no longer here you have to accept barry allen as the flash now um i've even read i've even read a lot of stuff that indicates that wally is the most popular flash yeah so so. what 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 was the basis for doing this you weren't you weren't appealing to the masses who preferred Barry so to speak I mean he kind of took the most popular Flash and got rid of him to go with the OG in a sense yep that's exactly what happened and it's it sounds annoying to us but try to think if you're Wally West at this time so you've developed your life you have a wife you have two kids and now you're back in existence in the DC universe but you don't have any of that so the only connections that you have to anyone are Barry Allen and then all of your titans. And so that's where Barry Allen, that's where Wally spends most of his time in Rebirth. And I think I've read every appearance that he has in, in Rebirth. He's in the Titan series and he's in the Flash series. And he makes a couple other cameos here and there in other series. Um, and you really see him struggling this whole time to figure out where do I belong? Everyone says I belong with them, but in my head and my heart, I don't feel like I belong here. He even tries to go find his wife and finds her in this alternate universe and she doesn't remember him. So it's just this tragic thing of someone he spent 15 years with and now he's back to this role of being a Titan rather than being on the Justice League. He just gets completely kicked to the curb. Um, And it's a really tragic story. And I think I actually really relate to him more. I'm a huge Flash fan. Um, but it's kind of funny. I talk about Superman's my number one and then Flash is number two and it's Wally West and then Barry Allen. So I think what they've done with Wally's character in Rebirth and kind of making him this, because they didn't know what to do with him and bringing him back, they made him a very um, intriguing character to follow. And we can go into this a little bit more with Heroes in Crisis, but what we see in Heroes in Crisis is obviously the result of the tragedy um, of him being lost in time for so long and then coming back and still being lost in reality. Isn't it strange that they seem so quick to replace Kid Flash, but it took Wally... Oh, well, I'm thinking of Young Justice. It seemed like they were really quick to replace Wally with Bart. I mean, he, yeah. he passed away, but it didn't seem like anybody was hesitant to don the mask and become Kid Flash, but it seems like it takes a lot for one of these flashes to kind of don the mantle of flash. Does that, do you get that vibe too, or from an up close perspective? 
Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is when when you get with comics and you deal with these legacy characters, it's always anytime they take on the mantle and if it's only going to last for a certain amount of time before they bring back the original. Um, it's pretty hard for somebody to take on the mantle permanently. Um, the best way to get a legacy character out of that sidekick role is to give them their own name and their own problems, like you see with Nightwing. No one considers him Robin anymore. He got he 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 was Batman for a while, and then reverted back to Nightwing, which for him was a progress, was a step forward. Um, it's also tragic because Raleigh is the fastest Flash. Um, you see that he's faster than Barry. So yeah. But what about Young Justice? He's like significantly slower, and it's a main plot point. It's yeah, why he dies. Why. I don't know why they did that in the Young Justice series in the comics. Wally West is repeatedly the the fastest Flash. But yeah, interesting. He's the first Flash to break the the speed of light, to go faster than the speed of light. Um, and again, it's because of that spiritual connection he has with it. He doesn't look at it as numbers and how can I increase my speed? It's how can I develop a better, I don't know, I don't know if it's a relationship or connection to the speed force. Like you mentioned with Star Wars, where you just feel yeah. the force and you try to connect with it, lock into it. Yeah. So, and it's a huge part of Flash too, because you see them in Rebirth, uh, both Wally and uh, Barry. There's a section called Flash War, where they end up racing against each other, and Wally wins. Ooh, I'm gonna have to check that out. Are you, as a big, big, big Wally West fan, what is your take on the CW representation of Kid Flash? Do you like it? Yeah, it's. I was thinking about that. It's. It's hard for me because it's technically Wallace West. Um, it's like, I, I would like it a lot if he were to, I've no issue obviously with him being African-American. I think that's great to bring that into the show because I needed it. Um, and Iris is black. So it would make sense that her uh, cousin essentially, or sorry, her nephew would be as well. Um, but what's confusing about it is um, it's like, well, they didn't give him any of the, the storylines of Wally that he gets in the comics. So it just makes it confusing. And it shows they didn't know what to do with him either because they didn't keep him in the Flash show. They ended up putting him in the Legends of Tomorrow because they're like, well, we don't really know how to deal with this in the show, just like we didn't know what to do with in the comics. So we're just <laughs> going to push him off and put him in a different series. And on the budget for two speedsters, basically, yeah. is what it was. And actually, now that I'm thinking, I think he is Iris's brother yeah. in the show. I Sorry, so. I just remember that. Not to jump the gun here, but is that why you believe that DC, like the higher ups, uh, maybe push to have Wally West in Heroes in Crisis? Yeah, I think I think that's why they wanted to do it is because they wanted to figure out where they could put him. And I think Heroes in Crisis, he was a good, a good focal point um, for this big event. And he's the most obvious character. I mean, in the past few years in comics, he's definitely the one that has repeatedly been seeing suffering the most. Right, right. Um, with that said, I think uh, that's probably a good time to turn a little bit of time over to JoJo and we can break up uh, Heroes in Crisis. And then after that, we can come back to Wally and talk a little bit about what's going on with him and uh, since Heroes in Crisis. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I picked Heroes in Crisis and it's actually interesting. I wish you had told me about Rebirth because had I read Rebirth I think I would have really like I enjoyed Heroes in Crisis but I think I really would have understood a lot better what was going on because Heroes in Crisis obviously alludes to the the struggle that that he goes through Wally West goes through but I didn't understand what was happening with with the Titans and with his team I didn't realize that he got 
kind of pushed out and that there was issues with that. So um, with that being said though, if it was just this, just as a standalone story itself, I really, really enjoyed this. Like I loved it. And I was actually surprised when you both mentioned to me that this got mixed reviews, that a lot of the people hated it. And um, now that we're talking about, at the time it surprised me, but now that we're talking about this kind of nostalgia that people have with Wally West, I totally understand why people were kind of upset with the story. Um, and so let's, let's kind of get into it here. So in Heroes in Crisis, we, it almost starts off as this like murder mystery. Um, and the reason why it starts off that way is because you see that these superheroes are kind of going in and they're, and they're doing this kind of therapy, right? And you, and you see that these heroes are struggling. And so you're taken to the, the, what they call the sanctuary. And here we have a bunch of heroes. They're kind of trying to, it's kind of like rehab. They're trying to get back on their feet um, get over the these humps or even these um, mental health issues. And so what you find in the first issue is that basically everybody at this, this rehab facility is dead. Everyone dies. And the only thing that you as a reader see is um, Harley Quinn coming in and just wailing on Booster Gold, who seems to be the only hero at this place that that is alive right so you kind of get the the feeling that harley quinn is behind this and she's killed all of these superheroes which for me when i first read it uh i was just like wasn't really sure like i couldn't really believe that harley quinn was capable of, of killing all these people but um you don't really get a lot of the details then as you, as you're reading along then you think that booster gold is actually the one behind it and he's the one that killed everyone um, and so you kind of in this story, this kind of murder mystery, and you're trying to figure out or basically guess between the two characters who is most likely or who most likely did it, right? Was it Harley? Was it Booster Gold? Um, or did something else happen, right? And so you find out that this was built by the, the Trinity, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman with Batman's technology, um, with Wonder Woman's kind of compassion i think they say yep and then superman i can't remember what what his probably uh, hope or truth i think i can't honestly remember the actual yeah. word they use <laughs> it was his idea maybe yeah <laughs> yeah maybe his idea so but they they emphasize the fact that it was these the higher ups right the the top of the top that understood that this was an issue that was that was happening right um and a big piece of that is that there's Technically, no. Re there's something recording, but it's not supposed to be saved anywhere. It's more just to help one-on-one -on -one these superheroes combat this. Well, you find out that Lois Lane, someone hands her these recordings of of these superheroes, basically admitting to to issues that they're they're dealing with, whether it be drug addictions or whether it be um, yeah psychological issues or whether it just be mental health, um, anything along those lines. And so you go along and then you come across Wally West, um, the Flash in this, and you, towards the end, you find out that it was him, that he, he's struggling so much from, as we alluded to, or as PD alluded to, 
from rebirth, what happens in rebirth, that he goes to the sanctuary, he's trying to figure it out. And you can see he's almost on this like up and down roller coaster ride where there's moments where he's he's very hopeful and he thinks he's gonna get past the these thoughts and then he kind of gets pulled back down and he's kind of feeling hopeless and it it just keeps going on this this ride up and down up and down and um he mentions that he's extremely lonely that he he's very lonely and in the moment that he kind of realizes um with the speed force and this ability to retain all of this energy when in a matter of seconds and seconds for him is literally probably like a lifetime for us where he has to be in control a hundred percent of the time and the moment that he feels that he needs to be alone what happens is all these superheroes are are coming out to try to see what's going on provide help for him or whatever and he releases all this energy and just murders everyone so then it now becomes a story of him trying to cover up his tracks to then him finally creating this confession video. And you find out that he's actually the one that sent Lois Lane this video about superheroes having issues that's now going to be, that now has been reported to the rest of the world, right? And then you get this awesome moment where Superman is giving this speech where he's very, very real and trying to explain to um, the citizens of the world that, you know, heroes are human and that they struggle and that's not necessarily a bad thing and that doesn't mean that civilians shouldn't trust them if anything that should give them more trust because they're more relatable to them and that they're actually seeking this this help right um that's kind of i guess the story in a nutshell is there anything big um that i have missed that you guys would want to add to that I think it's a pretty good synopsis. The only thing that I would add is just at the end, what, the way Flash does it, because I think we need to talk about that before you break it down, is basically he travels to the future five days um, and creates basically a, a speed copy of himself and puts that body from the future in place of where he would have died. Um, I think that's probably the only thing that I would have added is how he completed the, the cycle so that it looked like he wasn't guilty. Yes, which was very confusing for me, but I just nodded and said, yeah, that makes 100% sense to me. So uh, yeah, let's, let's time believe. travel. Yeah, cool. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is the uh, what makes um, so we'll kind of push back the, the, the bad reviews because I think if I and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel that both of you really enjoy this story yourself. And so we're kind of all in agreement with that. So for you guys, what what is it about this story that is so awesome? For me, kind of jumping into this a couple of years late, this hits on a lot of notes. It's, it's, it's almost more relevant now than it was when it was written. Um, we're in a place where we talk about mental health a lot, really in, in all aspects of media, pop culture. It's a very prevalent topic that's finally getting the attention that it, that it deserves. And I think that's why I can appreciate Heroes in Crisis and find several characters to relate to as they did do a good job of representing a lot of different aspects of mental health and the different ways you might be suffering um, as well as really being my takeaway very pro therapy um, very much inviting and encouraging the people reading the comic to go and talk to someone and showing that it can't have a positive effect because I believe my takeaway was a lot of the characters seem to be very happy with their experience at Sanctuary. 
Yeah, I think off of that, I do want to provide a little bit of context just for maybe some people who are listening that maybe haven't read it. Um, so basically, this story takes place with um, uh, the superiors having, it's called the sanctuary. It's basically a therapy computer. Um, they go to this house that's in like the Midwest, probably. Um, it's in the cornfield to make for beautiful art. <laughs> uh, but it's in this house and on the inside, everyone wears the same golden mask and white robe. So nobody knows who anybody is in there and they all have therapy sessions with this computer where they can talk about their problems. Um, so I think that what we need to do is really just analyze that a little bit of these people having these therapy sessions. Um, so one of the things that's cool about it is you see all these characters who have had good experiences with Sanctuary um, and all of them are saying all the problems that they've had. Um, I think I did want to show just a couple things from the series that really hit me hard. Um, obviously, the, they're with characters that I have related to a lot. Um, one of them is of Superman. So to give you an idea, every basically few pages, you get panels of them just in front of a shield talking about their problems. And one of the things that uh, Clark says is... Um, he's talking about his role as Superman. And he says, this is embarrassing even talking about this stuff. I never talk about it like this. I can't. To be, uh, I guess, a hero, you have to be perfect. To talk about this is not perfect. Um, and that's just such a hard-hitting role. And you get that a lot. Wonder Woman says the same thing. She talks about when she was crying as a kid. She went to her mom once and her mom basically ignored her. And so from then on, she said, I just prefer to bite my lip and not cry. And so you see all these superheroes talking about how they contain all their feelings rather than let it out. And so the, the question then comes up, well, what happens when that eventually surfaces if you don't talk about it? And then what do you see? You see the disaster that happened with Wally West, who's trying to fix it, but because it's been underneath his skin for so long, he just can't contain it anymore. Yeah, I really like, uh, you, you touched on a couple of things that I actually really wanted to dive into. The first being, um, Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman kind of show, showing their vulnerable sides. And I think with Wonder Woman, it was no surprise. But for me, it was, it was, it was interesting and it was cool to see both Superman and Batman, especially Batman, show how vulnerable he was. And the um, author of this comic, I can't remember his name, King, I think, right? Tom King. Tom King. I think he does... I think he's a great storyteller because in just such few amount of words, he's able to kind of invoke all of these emotions from you, right? Like I don't, like I said before, I don't know a lot about comics. I know Batman, obviously, because he's a huge one, but him just mentioning the fact that, you know, I, I train these kids to be my sidekicks and one of them ends up dying. I think was just like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Batman, the guy that doesn't show any emotion. He has an answer for everything, which I guess in the, in this series, it was kind of funny when he like tells Wonder Woman and, and Superman, he's like, no, no, I don't have any kryptonite on me. And then lo and behold, he has kryptonite on him, right? So he's obviously flawed. Um, but I thought that that was huge, was being able to show these characters in such a vulnerable state and believing it, right? Like completely understanding and knowing yeah that makes total sense like who saves these heroes um when they need saving right and i'm not talking about these these events where you know one of them is in a crisis and 
and they need a sidekick or they need someone else to help them fight this bad guy, it's all psychological, right? And I think that that's, that's a really cool perspective and story to tell um, because obviously it's very real. Um, Trey, any thoughts on, on that, on the, on the vulnerability of, of these characters? Yeah, I think what's really interesting is the variety of mental health topics that they cover. I think each person reading this probably identifies particularly well with one or two of them. And personally, I found Roy to be very relatable. He's talking about how he doesn't have superpowers. So everything he does as a hero hurts a lot. So he got a prescription for medication and now he's an addict and he's struggling with that. And I was just like, that is an incredibly relatable thing. If I were to pick up a bow and arrow and start trying to fight crime, I'm pretty sure that that's a very likely path that I would fall down. Or you've got Booster Gold and it, who suffers from imposter syndrome. He doesn't really feel worthy of being a hero and even has an amazing moment with Har Harley Quinn where she says, sorry, I'm just not good at this hero thing. <laughs> and he, a bona fide hero of many years, just goes, yeah, me neither. And it's just, you kind of pulled the curtain back and saw these characters for who we were always hoping that they were, that they were just like us. And it's hard in their main runs to kind of relate sometimes because they seem infallible and they don't have flaws. But finally, after a lot of years, the curtain was pulled back and these people are shown to be just like us. And it's very empowering as a reader. So talking specifically about Booster Gold, because I had this issue where I had to look them up. I had to do some research and it just sounds more like this guy is <laughs> in the wrong place at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. Always. Um, so if, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's basically this guy from the future that steals technology from the future and goes to the past to basically live out his fantasy and like his glory days. Um, he has some good intention, but it genuinely feels like he's more worried about other people thinking he's a hero than him actually wanting to be a hero. Am I wrong in assuming that? Um, I would say no. I think you have, he has his moments. I think Heroes in Crisis is actually one of his better moments where he does have some good intentions to be a hero. Um, but he is kind of known as the character that, I mean, his whole, his whole origin is coming from the future, taking the tech, taking his knowledge, and that's why you have his computer Skeets who has all this knowledge stored so that he can take it back and use it to his advantage. Um, uh, you do see him though, have some very heroic moments in comics. Uh, one of the biggest things is a series called 52, which takes place uh, basically while the Trinity are out for a year. And so these other kind of B-list characters have to take on the role and you see him uh, take on the role of a hero I don't want to spoil too much of it but you see him take on that role and it was one of the first times that I was like oh maybe he actually isn't such a such a tool from the future just coming to take advantage of of the past but yeah generally I think people look on him and I think that's why he's such a good character to blame everything on in this series which which is the answer to one of your later questions why is it so easily to to suspect booster gold I think what does make him an interesting character though is because he like I said, he struggles with this imposter syndrome where he's created this expectation of him being this amazing hero and this amazing person. And not super long after kind of creating this persona, he really realizes that he really wants to be that person and kind of tries to be that person. And he fails a lot. He's built essentially kind of an unattainable image 
that he inevitably falls short of, but that becomes the goal for booster gold. And he starts to try to achieve that and try to achieve that. And along with blue beetle, he gets a lot closer than you might expect when you first meet him as a character. So he's one that I really like. And, and I really like that scene where he kind of has to face himself in the mirror and just, <laughs> just be disappointed in himself. Also, he's so crucial to this storyline. Um, if it, I mean, who's the one that figures out that Wally was the one doing all of this? It was him because he was able to identify that one of the bodies of Wally was from the future. And so it leads into, okay, if he didn't have that time traveling experience, I don't know if they would have been able to put those pieces together. Yeah, that's true. You make a good point because in he's the one that can tell that his body is like five days old, right? Yep. That, all right, so why do you guys think that there were such mixed reviews? Because as I mentioned, all three of us really enjoyed this this comic, this story. Um, so yeah, why why do you think people did not enjoy this as much as we did? So I think the one of the reasons that I would say so is I think you get too many fanboy syndromes where people don't want to see any of their heroes um, face this stuff. I think especially a lot of Wally fans were really mad saying, well, this is so out of character for Wally. He's such a good guy. He would never lose control like that. And to me, I'm like, um, I'm a big Wally West fan, and I think it's totally justified <laughs> that he would feel this way. Um, I think that's a huge issue is that people just assume, well, Wally's such a good guy, he would never lose control. Um, I think it's honestly, you know, that might kill me, but I think it's a little ignorant to assume that after all this tragedy, that Wally would be able to just write it off and continue on his happy, positive attitude. He's trying so hard in this series to overcome it. Um, and I feel like he's so relatable with him talking about these issues and really trying hard to work through them. Um, but in the end, it's just overwhelming for him. Um, and even as he's like going through this and you see that panel where he basically just explodes with energy, um, the, it, it hit me hard. Um, this idea of just basically having an attack of, if you want to call it panic or whatever it is, he just loses control. Um, so I think that's a huge issue for a lot of the Wally West fans um, is seeing this character that they admire go through something so hard and respond to it in this way. I think it's worth noting that it wasn't really his own circumstance that led him to break. I think that's really important because it, it didn't, it didn't even become while he couldn't handle his own complicated life. It was at a moment where he knew everything was being recorded and kind of watched all the tapes in like half a millisecond or something. Oh, and it yeah. was, it was, and to quote the book, essentially it was, a thousand heroes in crisis that overwhelmed him. It was the, the emotions of all of his coworkers, all of his fellow heroes and friends kind of empathizing with all of them at once and all of their suffering that caused him to lose it, which if any of us were able to in half a second, watch the confessions of a thousand people suffering, we would, we would feel something very similar. So I don't even think, you know, as a kind of a counterpoint to those people who are upset that Wally snapped, that's more than anyone should be able to bear. And I think it's a very relatable thing. As far as maybe another point of view, why this didn't do so well initially, I think getting to the game late, I obviously can't relate hundred percent. I think it's reading this at this point in my life, it's very relevant with mental health and everything. Um, but had I been a fan kind of pounding the table saying, we need to touch on mental health. We need to talk about this. We want to see the heroes talk about it. I could see this, not scratching that itch for me i could see you know instead of incorporating mental health into your comics more gradually 
you taking one comic book crossover, sending everyone's heroes to therapy, and then having one snap and kill a bunch of them. If I had wanted to see mental health in my comics for a long period of time, this is not how I would have wanted to see it. I can honestly say that. Now, reading back and saying, oh, here's a great comic about mental health, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But definitely see why when it first aired, it might have been a frustrating read for people. Yeah, that makes sense. And kind of to touch on that, there was a review that I that I um, read and I don't agree with it, but it was interesting what they said. And they basically said something along the lines where insisting people need to be perfect after their mental breaks feels like a dangerous precedence, right? And I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't think that that's the point of Tom King's writing. I don't think that that was his intention, right? Especially with Wally West. Um, the expectation wasn't that he should have been perfect and him in that moment, if he just had control, like none of this would have happened. Like there's still the issue that all of these heroes were dealing with something very, very real, right? And so I think with Wally West's character, maybe the emphasis was too much that he could have easily prevented this instead of him dealing with grief and with sorrow and maybe getting the correct support that he needed. Yeah, off of that too, I think it's an admirable of Tom King to being able to take on this project. Because I mean, no, it's never been done before. I really, you really don't see them touch that much on mental health and comics. And as fans, people have been saying, hey, we need it, like Trey was saying. Um, I get that this is kind of an explosion and like a, a hit in the head of hitting everything at once by showing all these characters suffering. Um, and maybe that was a little bit um, too heavy for people to accept all of that at the same time. And so I could see why that would frustrate people where it's like, well, this is just too much to handle for one book. It's too, too broad. Um, but I personally didn't feel that way. Um, I love being able to get just Tom King does such a good job in the one or two panels of each, of each hero that is in sanctuary of describing in one dialogue, one of their biggest problems. It's like you were saying with Batman, one of his biggest things is how everyone dies around him. And the first thing he says is all my kids that I train up die. Um, so you see that you see, um, what's another good one I'm trying to think of um I love like Blue Beetle he says I'm the guy that gets things done that's just who I am and it's just like it's so hard for him to be that guy and so you see them he takes all of these really obviously years of comic knowledge and tries to condense okay what would be this character's biggest issue that he faces on a day-to-day basis so I personally loved it I loved it too. And I think in closing as kind of a rebuttal to that review, you mentioned Jojo. Um, I think his explosion from stemmed from, at least from a literary standpoint, kind of taking that idea of sharing what you're feeling even farther. Right. So step one was, okay, it's great that the heroes have sanctuary to talk about, but the files are being deleted immediately and they still all feel very isolated, which is what led to Wally running so fast he could read the files before they were deleted because he was desperate to find someone to identify with. And in that moment, he just wanted to identify and know that other people felt something similar. But in that moment, he was so overwhelmed by all of their kind of therapy sessions and confessions that it overwhelmed him. So I think it takes it a step further and says, it's great that these people were talking to someone, but it needed to go farther and it needed to almost go public so that like Superman inevitably did, they knew that these heroes 
were like them because they were still trying to keep that hidden, right? They were confessing to Sanctuary that they were struggling, but they still weren't letting the public know. And I think Wally exploding was, I guess, a silver lining on that explosion was, okay, we're going to go public. We're going to let people know that their heroes are real people. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good tie between um, the two maybe thoughts on it, whether people loved it or whether people hated it. I think that's a good kind of compromise between the two um, and the biggest lesson probably taken away from from this this series. Yeah, and I think um, overall, I think we all we all agree how good it was. Um, I think it's the first of its kind. And I think, I think that's why people may have struggled with it. Um, moving forward a little bit to talk about what Wally's doing after he was in crisis. Uh, basically he goes on in a series called flash forward, um, where he takes on kind of a cosmic role, um, and ends up fighting this interdimensional being, um, and runs into, he's able to find his, his kids in this kind of cosmic energy. And so you see him have these moments with his kids it's really beautiful. Um, in the end, he ends up taking on uh, the Mobius chair. He sits on basically a cosmic chair that gives him all this knowledge. Um, and so you see him again, they're still trying to figure out what to do with him at this point. And after that, then you see him in death metal, um, basically just in shame. Um, he's in the depths of hell um, in a pit, just basically broken. Um, he's lost a lot of weight. He's just broken down when Wonder Woman finds him and tells him how useful and how needed he is on, on their team, um, which goes back to just Wonder Woman's greatness and how she helps him to get out of that. Um, and after he gets out of that slump, now um, with Infinite Frontier in the Zero issue, uh, it's really cool. I like wanted to jump up and down for joy um, because in the first Zero issue, they basically tell the audience that Barry Allen, Barry Allen's having a conversation with uh, Wally West. And he says, Hey, I'm being called to go kind of on this cosmic journey and I'm not going to be there in central city. And then Wally goes, well, well what are you going to do? Who's going to be the flash? And Barry just looks at him like, are you kidding me? You're going to be the flash. Like you were doing it for, he's like, you were doing it for so long. He's like, but after everything I've done and Barry's like, they need a flash and they will look to you again. Um, and so I like that idea of getting this first circle. And it's like, okay, yeah, take Barry out for a little while. I love Barry, but give Wally the spotlight again and let him have some time just to be the Flash and to have his 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 monthly issue without having so many problems. Yeah, he definitely needs kind of a, a steady, consistent hero arc. Uh, he's been <clears throat> he's been through quite a lot. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week, guys. We discussed. Falcon and Winter Soldier, episode number two, did a character breakdown of Wally West and then covered Heroes in Crisis and what we thought of the series. Next week, we're going to talk about Dr. Doom, Secret Wars, in which he plays a huge role at the 2015 edition, and Falcon and Winter Soldier, episode number three. Thanks for joining us. Check us out on Patreon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya.